Welcome back to another edition of the Edge Podcast. Publisher Brendan Slaughter here for BeaversEdge.com. Coming to you with TJ Matthewson, Beaver's Edge writer and KEGO radio host. We're coming to you following Oregon State's 62-17 win over the Stanford Cardinal. We're also going to be looking ahead to number five, Washington at Reeser Stadium. Senior day, the final Pac-12 game at Reeser. It's going to be a lot of emotion. CJ and I will be breaking it all down. But first, we got to talk the win over the Stanford Cardinal. Oregon State to win uh, improves to eight and two on the year, five and two in Pac-12 play. And TJ, the first complete game from Oregon State, they dominated from start to finish. If you're a Beaver fan, that must have been exactly what you wanted to see coming into these final two stretch of games. Absolute annihilation on both sides. Into this game, I wanted to see the off. Uh, more specifically, I wanted to see the offense. Like we had a feeling. The defense generally has played better at home this season and kind of mm-hmm. expected against a team that yeah, str- has struggled at points on offense this season in Stanford. So, I mean, I, I don't know if that was much as a worry. We I think we were more just focused on rotations and such. But sure. offense, I wanted to see DJ get going early. He absolutely did. They came out and they threw the ball a little early. It wasn't a high volume, but they did get him, especially on that first drive, a couple of easy completions, which I really – really helped there late in the first quarter in this and then in the second quarter as well when they really put the the pedal to the metal dj was able to hit some key passes downfield and just stanford was so physically overmatched at the point of attack that yeah i don't know if you really had to worry about the run game it took about sure two carries to you're like yeah you know i think this will be an okay day for damian martinez and four top four first half touchdowns later it concludes you see everything you really want to see everything you wanted to see before these two games because sure. coming off Arizona and Colorado there's a lot of questions there's where is this offensive consistency this passing game has been slow to get going it's been inconsistent the pass blocking hasn't been great the run game has been fine they've had a high volume of running attempts but the efficiency and effectiveness of them hasn't sure. hasn't been perfect so we want to see that on the field and want to go out there. More importantly, go out there and dominate opponent that should be dominated. And that's exactly what they did. The environment was good. The crowd was good. The weather held up. And it is setting up, Brendan, two games you and I have been looking forward to all season, looking forward yeah. to since the schedule came out. And it is going to build up to be two of the biggest games in program history. Oh, it's going to be massive. And we're obviously going to be previewing both those games. Washington, obviously, first on deck. But, yeah, going back to that win over Stanford, TJ, I mean, have a game, Damian Martinez, right? I mean, takes 15 carries for a buck 46 and four touchdowns. And for those of you keeping track at home, that was achieved, TJ, in what, two and one-eighth quarters? I mean, Mm -hmm. he pretty much had all those numbers. Uh, Obviously, he and DJ stayed for the uh, opening drive of the second half, but then – he and DJ, most of the offense. I mean, if you're at beaversedge.com, you got to see the snap counts that we published this week. TJ, it was as deep as UC Davis as far as the amount of guys that got turns in this game. I mean, in a sense, and we talked to Damian Martinez post game, it was like the Beavers played a half of football. And that, mm-hmm. com- again, you know, Oregon State looking for whatever advantages they can get against the top five team coming up. You look at Washington who had to exert a ton of energy to hold off Utah in Seattle last week. Very physical game, Utah very physical. Meanwhile, Oregon State kind of took care of their business, you know, punched their time clocks and were out by, you know, halftime. I I imagine that will have some sort of an impact this week. 
And it's been a, a difference for both these teams, especially Oregon State at home. Oregon State on the road has played a lot of close games. They play close games in every road game they've had this sure. season. I would say Sands the opener against San Jose State. That was not a close sure. game. But every other road game, the Beavers have played a little bit of Husky ball. But at home, that hasn't been the case. I mean, the game has essentially been in hand in every fourth quarter in Research Stadium this season. So the pressure isn't quite as there. The Huskies play a lot of pressure games. They have played now what yeah, six games look. in a row six games in a row by 10 points or less i have it all written down um let's see it's six, I believe right yeah you, six games yes. in a row this season Correct. De- decided by 10 points uh, or less the huskies in the last two seasons so Kalen DeBoer is 21 and 2 as a head coach at washington 11 of those wins have come by 10 points or less 11 well, of them and they have been all in a row Right. 11 games in a row dating back to last season, not concurrently, but the last 11 games they've played that have been 10 points or less, the Huskies have won them all. And they played six straight of those leading up to this game. I would imagine we're going to get another 10 point or less game, but you got to think like the, the, the pressure, right. It, it builds. Right. And eventually they got to make a mistake in these moments. Right. And we'll obviously get into that a little bit. And, you know, yeah. TJ, I think I think the uh, the odds makers may agree with you. I know TJ is mm-hmm. big into uh, favorites and lines, folks. And for those of you keeping track at home, listen to the Edge podcast. We always appreciate you for sure. Oregon State is a two and a half point favorite. TJ, after Washington opened as a one point five point favorite. So that line has swung a full four mm-hmm. points in favor of your Oregon State Beavers. Well, you got to thank the public for that. Yes. That's the, that's I the, mean, that's the, that's the working man's work right there. <laughs> but yes, I mean, I think that alone kind of tells that, you know, I, I like to think that, you know, for the most part, Oregon State is a team that has played within what their spread is this year. TJ, you might have their against the spread numbers. It's been pretty consistent this year. I mean, just in over Jonathan Smith in general, it's been one of those things that the Beavers have pretty much uh, aligned with, but kind of putting a bow tie on Stanford. I mean, TJ mentioned that we're going to compare Washington's matchup versus Stanford versus Oregon State. We're also going to look at some other common opponents. Obviously, Washington State uh, has not played Washington yet, but Arizona has, and that was another game that Washington didn't play their best football and had to eke out a win there as well. I believe that was the week after their Oregon win. So we'll obviously get into that as well. So some common opponents between the two, but kind of putting a bow tie on Stanford, uh, TJ. Talk a little bit about the defense. You know, it obviously we the offense scored 62 points. That was impressive. Uh, also got to give a shout out to Aiden Childs and then some of the other young guys that got a chance to get burned in that game. Definitely the biggest game for Isaiah Newell throughout the year. Uh, they went down to the third stringers on offensive line. TJ, some of the guys that we haven't seen since fall camp got in there. Uh, so definitely cool to see that and, you know, go really deep at tight end with guys like Bryce Caulfield and uh, Carter Newman and Gabe Milborn. So it was awesome to see so many guys. And that was a comment that I believe I made to you and John Warren was, I was surprised that Oregon State's offense was able to continue to, score at ease against Stanford, who I believe kept in most of their first and second units. It may be, I, I don't have that for certain, but still managed to put up points. And then conversely, Oregon State's defense did a pretty good job when they went really deep, TJ, of not letting Stanford, you know, run up. They were never going to get back in the game, but you know what I mean, make the score prettier than it was. There's just that, that one bus play, a manner they took another another shot to on that 
one of the he, favorite he plays is, Troy Taylor. I'll say this. They're just yeah, gonna, he is really they'll just good. chuck it to him. Yeah, he is good. I mean, and they like just throwing him a go ball and seeing what kind of plays he makes. And makes after sense, yeah. he, I think he drew a PI, he, a PI or two in the first half. I think it might've just been one. Um, and some incompletions aiming at him in the first half. They're finally able to connect after the Deshaun Fenwick hurdle. So I think if there was ever appropriate moment for that, uh, it would have been after Oregon State uh, entered the, I would say, clowning stage of the football game. Oh, but, yeah. yeah, it was no, good. It, to, was... it was good to see all the all the depth out there. And, uh, you know, on the Colin show after me, people were very excited to see Isaiah Chisholm in there to, to get to yeah, have so some, let's talk, some contributions. Let's talk and uh, yeah, yeah, four tackles, um, a sack. So it, it was good for them to, to really spread it around. And, and, and you know, give especially some of the starters just a little bit of rest before you know these two games where they like the defense these next two weeks are gonna have to play in a level they haven't played at this season and yeah you'll take all the extra rest you can get it will need to be built off of it will need to be built off of this last weekend and and again like many uh people listening to this podcast tj and i think you'd agree with me I, i i have no concern that oregon state's defense won't play well in research stadium it's next weekend in Austin's weekend, next Friday, I should say. <laughs> I don't know if Friday is technically the weekend. Is Black Friday the weekend, TJ? Hard to say, right? Well, Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving it's close enough. People don't work that day, so. Fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, well, except um, us. <laughs> except us. <laughs> we'll be there. Um, but no, um, you know, I, I think that's going to be the big key. Because even now, as, I, as I've done research into this game, and we're obviously teasing our staff predictions a little bit, I've said for a while, I feel confident picking Oregon State in this game for reasons we'll get into. I feel like Washington's due to lose a game. Oregon State's raucous environment. It just – this this the, the pieces kind of seem to be lining up. But before we get into that, TJ, last couple points on Stanford. Uh, you mentioned Isaiah Chisholm. Melvin Jordan also got a lot of run. We saw some of the uh, other DBs get in. They only allowed seven points in the second half, TJ. Overall, how would you grade, like, the defense just, you know, compared to what I mentioned to you when we were, you know, sitting next to each other and Reeser was the last couple of weeks, we had seen fourth quarter defensive against Arizona. I'll call it a collapse against Colorado. I'll call a minor let up because at the end of the day, it really didn't matter, but Arizona, it sure did. So how good was it to see a zero put on the board there in the fourth quarter? Can I give an incomplete? Because it's not like <laughs> – it's not like – no offense to Stanford, but like A, it was Stanford, and B, it's not not the guys that gave it up in those two games. I mean – Right. The second string, second and third stringers are in there. I don't that's I don't know point. if I could properly grade that. That's fair. I mean, but again, I look at it as this – Stanford put up 33 points on Washington, right? They so, did. again, when we start comparing and contrasting opponents – and we can start to transition over into the Huskies now, TJ. There, if you're a Beaver fan and you like to play the A, if Team A beats Team B and Team B beats Team C, you would look and see, well, Oregon State played better against Utah. Both the, both Washington and Oregon State had Utah at home. Oregon State played far better. Oregon State played Stanford far better. Granted, Washington had to go on the road. Stanford can be a sleepy place. We all remember the miracle it's on the farm last year, so that that can be a little weird. And then Arizona, who Washington beat down there by seven points, Oregon State ended up losing to Arizona. 
But that was kind of the first game, TJ, where I think Arizona announced their presence and the first game where um, Washington maybe didn't look elite like they did the first couple weeks. And uh, correct myself from earlier, that was actually before the Oregon game when they played Arizona. They played Arizona State after the uh, uh, the Oregon game. And that Arizona State game we'll talk about too, TJ, because that's, that was their weirdest game of the year by far. But just between the common opponents, does that give Oregon State's players some confidence heading into this matchup? Well, I don't know if the players are looking at common opponents when, like, I, I just think that's kind of a, I don't know if that's the way they're looking. I would say that. Like, I think it gives them confidence seeing that they know Was- this Washington defense plays close. And if you play close, that means you have a chance to win the game, right? Stanford had a chance to win the game. ASU had a chance to win the game. Utah had a chance to win the game. Oregon had a chance to win the game and probably should have won the game. Like, they have all of these chances, and they know, like, hey, 10-0. But it's not Georgia 10-0. It's not taking the ninth-ranked team in your right. old building and shellacking them up and down the field. Like, no, like, Washington, like, plays close. And when you play close, that gives opportunities for teams throughout the game to, to make one play and, and flip right. the script of the game. I would say that gives them a little bit more confidence versus just, like, hey, like, we beat Utah by more points. Yeah, I mean, matchups are everything in this conference for sure. And I, th- I think case in point, look look back at the week prior, uh, Stanford beat Washington State 10-7 to in Pullman, right? Is that anywhere close to the same, like, well, by that logic, you'd say Stanford would beat Oregon State because Washington State, you know what I mean? So you definitely can't put too much into it. But I found it very interesting that, you know, Washington, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, plays close and I forget who it was on uh, one of the uh, one of the analysts talking the ESPN college football uh, uh, playoff rankings this week, just kind of saying that like Washington is almost like TCU last year in the sense of they won so many games close and so many different teams. TJ had an opportunity to beat them, and that's where I wonder if. Because of what Washington's had to go through in the last couple weeks, you know, obviously USC and Utah, tough opponents, a couple ranked opponents, Washington or USC was obviously ranked at the time. And even Oregon had one of their closer games recently against USC. That's still a talented USC team, still got Caleb Williams out there. So with that, I think that heading into this game, TJ, Oregon State, you know, I, I think they have to feel pretty good about their chances of pulling this upset because it wasn't like Washington lost last week to Utah. The pressure is still kind of on, if you know what I mean, with that, you know, undefeated season. And maybe kudos to Washington if they do. But, TJ, no team has gone undefeated and run rough shot through this conference since 2010. No one has actually gone through it undefeated since it's been a Pac-12. That's that's the better and more proper answer. not in a nine-game conference schedule. So you can go back to the Pac-10 days when Oregon mm-hmm. was the last team in 2010 to go undefeated. But, again, going back to what TJ said. But, yes, that's just, an eight-game. That Was that eight games that? No, still nine games. Still nine-game oh, conference schedule. Oh. Because you missed. Yeah. Okay, not, so you're still, right. Yeah, so they – but, again, it just hasn't been done since the conference expanded. And I go back and say all the time, I think that Oregon team – you know, I, this is not the podcast to give Oregon their props, but 
TJ, you look back, that was a pretty good Oregon team. They lost to Cam Newton and Auburn by three points. Cam Newton was a really good college player. So that team was really good. And I don't know if we've had a team quite that good in this conference since. You know, objectively, probably not. Washington in 16 was good. Um, Oregon, you know, obviously went to the playoff a few years later, but those teams – But even they lost. Yeah, those teams were not as good as that 10 team. So all that to say – no one has seemingly made it through Murderer's Row, known as the Pac-12 Conference, TJ. How much of that pressure is a real thing on Washington? Do you think that is something that is mounting every single week? And then combine that with the fact that they're like, oh, we have to be undefeated because we're undefeated right now and we're still not even in the top four. Is that real pressure? It's mounting probably more on the outside than on the inside, I would imagine, for how most college coaches and players think, at least ones that manage to make it undefeated. Because you don't go 10-0 and if you let, like, outside noise affect you. Sure. Like, that's that's not the case. But they're they're very much aware they're 10-0, and 100%. And we said, like you said it, like, no one through a 12, this 12-team Pac-12 conference has gone 9-0. Not a single, not a single team has done it. Well, I don't think Washington's losing next week to Washington State. Like, <laughs> so, well, we'll get into like, that in just two, a minute too. I was like, there's two opportunities yeah. there, and the and the first one starts this weekend uh, against uh, in, in Research Stadium. Man, what a treat of a matchup! Like, what a treat. When I came, like, uh, like I'm just coming out. Like, when I moved down here to like work here at the station and and cover Oregon State, Brendan, I'm just gonna be honest. I didn't I didn't think a game of this caliber would be played here. But look, it's not, look what's it's happened. Not, it's not a stretch to say that, TJ. I mean, you know, again, I know you're a little new to the game, but those who have been uh, stuck <laughs> stuck with this program for a while and those who have really been with Beaver's Edge for a minute, remember the dog days of, you know, the 2016, 2017, 2018 lean years. And, you know, um, for, for those, you know, and even myself, like I, I continue to be, um, you know, just simply baffled at, you know, it's one thing to believe that a coach can turn things around or it's one thing to kind of, you know, hear it or see it or hear it repeated. Because, you know, Jonathan Smith been here for a while now. It's crazy. It's aging me like an old man here, TJ, for how many years he's been here now. But, you know, seeing is believing. And it's like, yeah, I, I you know, when Jonathan Smith got hired and he laid out an impressive expectation for the program, I, I sat there and said, you know, I believe him, but I could be a lot of work. And they've, you know, to their credit, they've put in the work and, you know, 10 win campaigns are not something that are seen around here very often, TJ. And you were obviously a part of that last year. And, you know, now Oregon State will get into this and use this as a transition to kind of talk about the next topic with this game itself and what's on the line, TJ. And then we'll get into the matchups, too, as we kind of uh, start to wrap up the podcast. But let's run through the scenario real quick. Set the stage. So. We've all gone into our crystal balls and gone through all the scenarios. And let's lay the scene, TJ. In Within a sense, Oregon State still controls their own destiny for going to the Pac-12 championship. Now, you might be saying, Brandon, Arizona has the tiebreaker over them. Wouldn't Arizona go? And in a two-team ta- two tiebreaker scenario, you would be absolutely correct. If Arizona and Oregon State were both tied at 7-2, and two, they both won out arizona has utah and um washington state left on the schedule arizona Um, has utah Utah, excuse me utah and arizona state left on the schedule pardon me and it's 
likely that they will be favored against Arizona State. Sorry, TJ. Anything can happen in your territorial That's probably right. But don't be favored. No, you're probably right. (laughs) And with the way that they've been playing, TJ, can can you confidently say Utah would beat them? I I can't. Not confidently. No, it'd be a good game. That'd be a sneaky good game this week. It will be. I don't even know if it's sneaky. It's just a flat-out good game. Agreed. So let's just say Arizona wins their final two games. Let's say Oregon State pulls the rabbit out, folks. They not only beat Washington this weekend, but they go into Autzen Stadium next week. The first win since 07. Only the second one since I've been alive. But they pull it off. And let's say, for sake of argument, Washington bounces back, beats Washington State, which TJ and I alluded to. Uh, If Washington State wins that game, TJ, (laughs) they might need to build a statue to Jake Dickert for just how crazy of a year. It's like, we beat the two of the best teams in the conference, but no one else. Congratulations. (laughs) So that, I'm not very confident in that. And then let's say Oregon beats Arizona State which I think is, again, no offense to your Sun Devils, Teej. I I was going to say, what, Brendan, do you want to remind the folks what happened four years ago? Four years ago Saturday? There was a little bit more talent. Yeah, they'll probably lose. They'll probably lose. And no Mario Cristobal, so. The the quarterback (laughs) talent was a little better for ASU back then. Just a little bit. Um, But let's just say for sake of argument that Washington finishes 7-1. and They clinch a berth in the Pac-12 championship. And then you have, between Oregon, Arizona, and Oregon State, a three-way tie at 7-2. and TJ, because of the way that the tiebreakers work with three teams and because Oregon has not played Arizona and all those teams have not played each other, it throws in the scenario of who has the best win over the top team. So in that scenario, Oregon State would go and play Washington again because Oregon would have a loss to Washington. Arizona would have a loss to Washington. Oregon State would have the win over Washington. So there it is. There's the stage is set. Even if things go chalk as we expect, TJ, like it's not even like you need a crazy amount of help for that scenario to make sense. Like where you – things that are out of your control the only two things you really need to have happen is washington to beat washington state which as we mentioned and oregon to beat arizona state and if arizona loses a game along the way that's just gravy and your scenario is even cleaner but the fact that after all that tj that path is still that clean i mean if you're jonathan smith i mean and especially you know, I, I don't think – I think Oregon State has done a terrific job of staying focused on the here and the now and not really looking ahead to the uncertain future. But talking to the guys throughout the season, we know there are some guys who had the mantra of let's prove everybody wrong this year, right? And to have in the final two weeks an opportunity to knock off the two top dogs and still make the conference championship while having – one loss that at the time didn't look so bad now doesn't look so good, TJ. <laughs> yeah. That's Washington State's only only Pac-12 wins. That one not looking so good. And then Arizona, again, a respectable loss, but one of those two games you shouldn't have dropped. Pretty crazy that they had two mulligans and they're still in this position, TJ. It was always gonna come down to this, Brendan. Like, was yep. it not? Like I mean, I after they lost to Arizona, I didn't think a path would present itself. 
I really didn't. Like, I thought they would need an insane amount of help. But now here we sit, and they really don't. No. And it, they will be the high – they will probably – if they win these next two games, somehow they'd be number five. Like, they would be the oh, first yeah. team out of the playoff. Like, right? No, they would be. I, I would I would have to think – they would be – sorry, no, they would be six. Sorry, because, like, someone like someone of Florida, Ohio State, Michigan uh, would not be in it, and they would probably be – There's no – but. There's but, no crazy scenario. Real quick, there's no just just to appease appease the craziness. There's no scenario where they get those two wins, then turn around and beat Washington in the Pac-12 championship. There's no way they're the first two lost team to make the playoff, are they? No, I don't think so. Like those would be three unreal wins, but craziness. We know would have perception. To happen, like right? it's just like it. Yeah, it would, it's already the example of like. For like Washington clearly has a better resume than Florida State. Like clearly, Agreed. the conference is better. They have better wins, and it does Agreed. not matter in the eyes of the committee because of the Pac-12 stigma. Yeah. Even though the ACC sure. this year sucks, you're right. You're right. So like, yeah, ACC back this your... year is trash. So that like so that's, back... that they wouldn't they wouldn't do it. Yeah. So back to your point then before I brought brought that up. So yes, sure. you were saying they'd be five or six, and uh, folks, you'd be going to even if you lose, even in that scenario, if you lost the Pac-12 championship game, you do that, TJ, and your ten wins going into the Pac-12 championship game, you're going to a New Year's Six Bowl, regardless yep. of your result, which is just insane. So again, that's what's at stake. Now let's talk about how it needs to get done, TJ. We've talked about the surroundingness of the game, maybe the pressure that's on Washington. Let's get into the nitty gritty itself. Let's start defense versus offense in this one. We've talked a little bit about the engine, and I'm not going to lie. You had the, we're recording this on a Wednesday. You had the best question to talk to defensive coordinator Trent Bray, just talking about how they slow down the receivers. TJ, he gave you a pretty pretty funny response. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, you just said cover him. Just cover <laughs> yeah. him. I'm Easy, like, wow. right? Why did I think Easy, of that? Right? It was awesome. Well, it's it a lot awesome. easier said than done when you got three future NFL wide receivers spread out wide. Yeah. It's man, this is gonna be tough. I mean, they it's not only are they gonna have to rely like you have your two veterans back there. You have Ryan Cooper and you have uh and, and you have Jaden Robinson. Like they're gonna need to play out of their mind. But then you're also gonna, you know, have one of your younger guys is gonna have to cover like Jalen McMillan or who we assume is gonna play more this week, and or Jalen Polk. You know, both those guys yes. are future NFL wide receivers, and you're gonna have one of your young corners on them. And they will be targeted. Like they have to play well. Like it's not an with- if and or if it's not an if and or but if they they play well. Like if these receiver, if these cornerbacks who have had their troubles this year covering guys, if they don't cover in this game, like it's going to be nearly impossible to right. just, so to stop if to stop this group. I, I agree. I need to go back last year and look back at the film itself to kind of see what more they played. I apologize for not doing that ahead of bringing up this point. But, TJ, do you think with Michael Penix, you're forced to play a ton of man because he can pick apart zone? No, it's the or opposite. Do you, or do you think you mix it up and do both? Like, if you're Trent Bray, what are you dialing up in this matchup? So we had uh... – was he? I think it was Cam Cleland. We had the the Huskies yeah. radio analyst on on yeah. our show down here yesterday, and he was saying the um like you can't do that against these receivers because like be honest, Brendan, if you man up these receivers, who's winning one on one? Probably them. Right. So you can't I mean, do that. I mean, you, I'd I'd you, probably I'd probably take Ryan Cooper against at his best against 
anybody in the Pac-12 at his best, but that's probably – I mean, no disrespect to anybody else, but Romo Dunes is a – absolutely. you mentioned the other two guys. You didn't even mention Romo Dunes, who I think is the best of all yeah, three of them. And a, probably a top 15 pick. Yeah, like right. I, I, you know, again, every now and again, there's it, a player that comes across in it, our in our business, TJ, where you just kind of look apart and you're like, man, like I just really like that guy, and it's it, like I, I, I really like his game. He, he is a really it, good receiver. It's going to be a combination. So, like, it's start, it's going to start up front, right? They're going to have to like, they might not get Michael Penix on the ground. He gets rid of the ball really quick. I Me, mean, Andrew Chapel was talking about that today. You can go he does. check that out on our YouTube page. Like, so they're mentioning like remembering what they saw last year like Penix is getting get the ball out really quick that's why he doesn't get sacked a lot that's why he doesn't get hit a lot their offensive line is good but the ball is out quickly so it, it's gonna need to be you know it's probably gonna be a mix of zone and it's gonna have to be like there's gonna have to be some pressure on Penix like he's he can't keep his feet where he is because right that is like if he's just gonna sit there in the pocket and not move like it's game over like it, it really is game over and it really doesn't help Brendan that the Huskies in the last three weeks have just found their rushing attack. Like they are a balanced offense now. So these defensive linemen can't just think, oh, okay, like if the run is coming, it probably won't be good enough. So I can still pin my ears back and go after the quarterback. It's like, no, you, you're going to have to, you're really going to have to balance how you rush the quarterback right. because Dylan Johnson's been one of the best running backs in college football the last couple of weeks. And especially Plus, like yeah. they ran for, they've had good success running against Utah. Like, right, and I was just going to make that. note of. I was just going to make note of that. Finding your rushing attack against Stanford and USC not that impressive to me. Uh, after what I've seen, that that's not that impressive. Utah, that that is impressive. Now, he, uh, as you mentioned, Johnson twenty three carries for Buckle four and a touchdown. That you know, Oregon State was able to find a little bit of success on the ground too, but Utah really made them work for it. I mean. You're right. That only makes that offense more dynamic. However, TJ, Oregon State's run defense has been back to norm these last few yeah. weeks. And, you know, some of that's been, you know, teams needing to throw the ball more. But, like, Colorado, negative seven. I think Arizona, even in that game, was still 80-something. And then this last game against Stanford, I think, was 80-something as well. So after allowing some bigger games in the middle of that schedule, Cal, UCLA, that run defense tightened back up again. So that tells me that that run defense and making Washington one-dimensional is going to be key. But just looking at the numbers that you mentioned, TJ, Washington leads the Pac-12 almost 380 passing yards per game. For perspective, TJ, the Washington State Cougars, who have been terrible, are number two in the Pac-12 at almost – 50 yards less, 330 per game. So it's just they have a passing attack that is unmatched in this conference. And then conversely, looking at Oregon State's numbers, TJ, they're fifth in the Pac-12, allowing 230 through the air. So this is truly a is your best better or is my best better kind of a game. Yeah. And, like, you know, those are the two situations on that side of the ball that I see, uh, you know, that are going to be key. It's like you said, getting pressure on Penix, limiting that run game and making him one dimensional and then trying to speed up his clock and disguise coverages. Yeah, that like that's going to be your best bet. I, either that or like are these corners going to have to play the games of their lives like that? Like you got like they, you have to win the mat. You have to win the matchups on the outside for for that to to take effect. So. 
Like if I'm looking at one thing, I'm, I'm, I'm staring at that cornerback room. And I'm like, you, you guys, like, you know, what is up this week? Like this offense, like if the, if the Beaver defense can take away everything else or, or mitigate most of it, not completely take away, but mitigate most of it. Like it's going to come down to like, if you're faced up with Jalen Polk, like, are you making a play on the ball? Are you making him, are you getting him down on the ground? Right. And, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously, you know, going back to home games this year, I mean, this this obviously stacks up with, excuse me, with the Utah game as far as like, you know, Utah came in being a top 10 opponent. They were number 10, but Utah, obviously very different. Utah came in with a dominating defense and an offense that at that point was lifeless. So it's going to be a much different challenge than Oregon State's defense has had this year, uh, TJ. But at the same token, I think this last week, really was good for the confidence meter. I think Research Stadium being there and then additionally just mm-hmm. having, you know, it be senior day, which they're going to be walking a lot of guys, TJ. There's a lot of experience that will be leaving this team. And you're talking about, you know, everybody who pretty much didn't leave off of last year, guys who had the, – the crux of this class had still really seen the program flip from where it was to where it is. I heard, um, you know, Sarah Alcano talking on the Mike Parker, John Warren show this week, them saying it's going to be a really long senior day. I imagine there's going to be a lot of emotion in the air. Yeah. In that. Like it, it's going to be an emotional game. The last Pac-12 game, I mean, you know, it's that part of it's going to be hard for the players yeah. to separate and stay focused on the here and the now because, DJ, I mean, you start thinking about that, there might be fans that might start shedding a tear. There might be. And I would say one more thing on the Washington offense I forgot to get to. I mean, sure. here's one thing that it's like a, a, a niche in their armor. Like they, they do turn the ball over. Like Washington has a negative turnover differential this season. And they have like, they didn't turn over against Utah, but they've had some late game turnovers that have not affected them, especially in those two games against Arizona state and Stanford. I mean, Washington put the game away with a late touchdown drive against Stanford. But that's because Stanford didn't take full advantage of the two subsequent turnovers the Huskies had deep in Stanford territory. Like, that turnover luck didn't kill them. And Arizona State turned turned Washington over four times in the first 32 minutes of the game, scored seven points off those turnovers. Yeah. So they've they've gotten the benefit of teams not taking advantage of them having a bad day turnover-wise and bad turnover luck. We've seen the bad turnover luck hurt Oregon State this season, but it hasn't hurt Washington. So you got to right. take advantage and that, of that. And again, this is not something you can quantify, but there is this weird kind of gut feeling I have that maybe Washington is due to have some of those issues come to the surface. And I'm not saying they're guaranteed to lose. I'm just saying I think this is a prime opportunity for Oregon State to pull the upset. The cards, stars, whatever you want to say, are aligning. It's almost like you got, you know – you didn't get dealt a 21 on a blackjack, TJ, but you got dealt two face cards and you're like, and you know, blackjack, timely reference for those who follow the Oregon State program. So it's like you got dealt an 11 and you're like, oh, I feel pretty good about doubling that down. So, you know, th- that part's going to be interesting. I want to real quickly talk about uh, the other side of the ball, TJ, before we wrap up and end the Edge podcast. And again, thanks to everyone for tuning in to this edition. Uh, it's been an awesome conversation with TJ, gearing you guys up for the matchup with Washington on Saturday. Man, it's going to be electric. But real quick, TJ, what opportunities does the Oregon State offense have against the Washington defense? Unlike Oregon's defense, which I think is going to be 
a Herculean challenge next week. They played great football this year. Washington State's defense, or excuse me, Washington's defense, there have been some chinks in that armor too, as yeah. you mentioned, and some openings. They're kind of they're a little weaker against the pass than they are the run, but they give up yards. Like you can score on this Husky team. They're opportunistic. I mean, they've played well That's in the true. second half against Utah. They definitely adjusted, and they've had times this year where they have stepped up and made insane plays. I mean, I think back to that fourth down they had against right. Oregon. Dan Lanning goes for it, doesn't get it, and that gives the opportunity for yep. them to close out the game. But, I mean, they can be had. They can be had. They have a very good pass rusher on that defensive line. Braylon Trice, he leads the country in pressures. They, they're not a good – and you look at the sack numbers, you're like, oh, well, that's not sure. very intimidating. But, like, in terms of pressuring, like, Braylon Trice has been among the best at getting pressure on quarterbacks this season. It's going to be an excellent matchup with him and, and Oregon State's two tackles when they, when they match up in there. I – you know, for seeing how this Oregon State offense plays at home, I've seen no issue of how they don't score 30 points, at least. Like, right. first of all, like, okay, so let's just get this out of the way. The Beavers are going to have to score, like, 35 minimum in this game. I think that's so. Like, I think so. Like, minimum, 35 points. So, like, that's like that's the floor of where we're starting at. So, but the Beavers can do that against this defense. It, it can be had. There's no, I would say, real strength besides the fact they're they're a little opportunistic. They're very veteran as well. But right. there are there are definitely some opportunities here for the the talent on this Oregon State offense to have success against UW. Do you think TJ and and I, I generally agree with you on the points. Do you think there's any chance that it turns out to be a game like last year, where again I would like to remind everybody Oregon State held Michael Penix and Washington in a loss. They lost twenty one twenty four in Seattle last year, but had a fourth quarter lead, and they held Washington to their lowest point total of the year last year granted I think a lot of that was the really veteran secondary that Oregon State had last year there were some elite dudes back there making great plays and Oregon State was tough to move the ball on so it's different but that almost makes me wonder if Trent Bray maybe has a little bit of a good game plan in mind for how to slow down the Kalen DeBoer offense he might but I still think the the Beavers need to score 35 points even if Trent Bray's got a good idea I don't think that changes the fact that last year when they're up on Montlake Ben Gobranson threw for all of 67 67 87 one of those two something like something like that sub 100 it was not not a good passing day for Oregon State and the Beavers went down and they scored on their opening drive and could not do anything else after because they didn't have those dimensions in their offense this year though they do and I think it'll be more successful absolutely and again uh, going to be an awesome atmosphere. TJ, I bet you'll be able to feel the – you could cut the electricity in the air on Saturday with a knife that's going to be there. You might be able to put your hands in the air and see your hair go up because it's going to be so electric there on Saturday. And, again, uh, 4.30 p.m. on ABC. A uh, quick little look at the weather, TJ. Weather says cloudy with a couple showers. Rain gear is needed for football game. So I would expect that the uh, weather – we might get a few showers. It's going to be a little mm-hmm. – Pacific Northwest-like, but nevertheless uh, should be decent weather for the game, and I'm excited to uh, obviously be there, bring you guys coverage at beaversedge.com. Big thanks to TJ on this edition of the podcast. Make sure to stay locked to beaversedge.com for all the coverage leading into this matchup. Oregon State-Washington, 4.30 p.m., ABC on Saturday.